So this morning we are wrapping up our sermon series where we've been talking about finding our way. We've been talking about this path of discipleship that Jesus calls us to. We've been talking and we've talked about following Jesus. We've talked about the importance of becoming like Jesus. And today we want to talk about how we act like Jesus. Um, what, is our, what does our behavior need to look like? We've been talking about how we love God and how we love neighbor. We talked last week about the importance of prayer. And this morning, we want to talk around the theme of generosity. Uh, next Sunday will be the Sunday before Thanksgiving. We're going to talk around the idea of blessing. And then the following Sunday, uh, we move into the season of Advent. So November of 1987, the band U2, the band that if I ever could be a roadie for, it would probably be U2. R.E.M.'s a close second, but either one of those would have been great. But God, of course, called me to be a pastor. But anyway, U2 was playing at the Oakland Coliseum outdoor show. Um, and the Oakland Coliseum, I, I, I'm amazed they still use the place. I mean, back in 1987, it was already a pretty dilapidated stadium. But nonetheless, U2 was playing. I was a huge fan of U2. And, of course, I didn't have a lot of money, and so that meant that we and my friends, uh, those of us who went, we bought general admission tickets, which meant we actually got to be um, on the stadium ground, on the floor um, of the Oakland Coliseum. And and I I can only imagine what the ground looked like after the, the concert was done. But there were, it seemed like thousands of people on the field watching the concert. And one of the things that I wanted to do was I wanted to get through the crowd and get to the very front because I wanted to be able to see Bono. I wanted to be able to see the edge. And, and, and if you've been in one of those settings where there's just people, thousands of people on the field milling around and, and trying to make your way to the front, uh, it can be difficult. The crowd can really get in the way. The crowd can push you back. Now, luckily I'm a big enough guy that I was able to, to work my way all the front because I wanted Bono to see me. Now I, kind of doubt if Bono ever really saw me, but I wanted to be able to see him and I wanted to be able to sing with you too. And I want to just like, just be in that moment. And some of you may have had that experience of, of wanting to work your way through the crowd. Now the, the bottom line of me being at the U2 concert was I was a nobody trying to be a somebody working my way to the front of the crowd in order to see you too. Well, in the story we're going to take a look at in, in just a little bit, uh, we see a little bit of a reversal, but we see the issue of the crowd. Because we're going to look at a story of, of somebody, somebody who had made it and who was successful, who nobody wanted to let get to the front of the crowd. It's the story of Zacchaeus. And as we've mentioned before, the crowd often gets in the way. The crowd often prohibits people from seeing Jesus. Now, this crowd, they had a reason they didn't want Zacchaeus to see Jesus because he was a tax collector. He was the chief of all tax collectors. He was wealthy by the world's standards. He had made it, but he was despised. But he wanted to see Jesus. Now, before we get... To that story, though, I I want us to take a look at the end of Luke 18. We're going to talk, the story of Zacchaeus comes out of Luke 19. But I think context matters in this story. So as we turn our attention to the end of Luke 18, Jesus 
is on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to Jerusalem to celebrate the last Passover that he will celebrate. What actually will be, become known to us as the Lord's Supper. But in order to get to Jerusalem, he has to go through Jericho. But he, he's moving. He, he's not planning on slowing down. But he makes his way outside of Jericho. And what, what happened in particular, and we see this in different stories in the life of Jesus, is, is the crowd would go outside of the gates in order to bring Jesus in. And, and, and that's what's happening in our story. So he's making his way. He gets to Jericho, or is outside of Jericho. And this is what we read in Luke 18, verse 35. It says, As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting beside, or sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. That literally means to shut up. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near to him, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. So Jesus is on his way. He's, he's outside of Jericho. The crowd has gone out to receive him. And as he's making his ways almost to Jericho, he, this blind beggar yells out, what's going on? What's happening? He knows that something has, has stirred up this crowd and they tell him that Jesus is drawing near. And he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd tells him to be quiet. Again, the crowd gets in the way. But Jesus stops. And he says, bring that blind man to me. I want to talk to him. And so they bring the blind man to Jesus. And Jesus asks him a very simple question. What do you want me to do for you? We don't know how long this man had been blind. Perhaps he'd been born uh, with blindness. We're not really sure. Luke doesn't just, just go into the details of that. But Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And I think that that's always a, a really important question for us to consider as well. What do we want Jesus to do for us? And the blind man says, I want to see. Jesus probably knew exactly what he wanted, but the man could have said, I want food to eat. I want money. But instead he says, I want to see. And this was not a simple answer. It was a simple question. But his answer is not a simple answer because he hadn't been able to see. And his world was about to be turned upside down because now all of a sudden he literally could see. He had faith. It's interesting. Jesus says, your faith has healed you. And I'm like, we hardly hear anything about faith in this story. But the man had the innate ability to see what others could not see. He knew who Jesus was. He knew what Jesus had been doing. And he receives his sight. 
And he immediately begins to follow Jesus. And I think this is important because I love to, to get the image of what the first thing is that he sees. It's the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. This is Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. It's a continuation of Jesus on this journey through Jericho and into Jerusalem. Luke 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today, today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So as we've alluded to, Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He would have been despised. He would have been unwelcomed. And even though by worldly standards, he had been a success, the crowd wanted nothing to do with him. He was short. That was part of the problem. But they didn't want to let him through. And Jesus is making his way through Jericho. He's not intending to stop, as, as Luke alludes to. And so Zacchaeus has only one option, and that's to run ahead of the crowd, probably hoping eventually the crowd will die down, and to climb up in a tree so that he can see Jesus. And so that's what he does. Now, what we need to remember is in that culture, to run would have invoked shame. For a man to run, for a man to rush anywhere, it was a shameful act. And if you recall last week, we talked about the importance of honor. And so Zacchaeus is bringing shame to himself in order to get to a place where he can see Jesus. And Jesus stops. I just love this image. That no matter where we are in our life, no matter what it is that can, might be going on around us, Jesus stops. Zacchaeus just wanted to see Jesus. Jesus wanted to talk to Zacchaeus. And what's interesting to me is, is, is how Jesus engages in this conversation. Because typically, when Jesus is upset, which you would think he would be upset with a tax collector who had been ripping people off, but Jesus doesn't go after him. He doesn't yell at him. He doesn't say, hey, you've been a terrible person. No, he says, you know what? I want to come and stay with you, which, which is shocking. He says, I must stay at your house. This is verse five today. Jesus, says, I want to be with you. Now, the interesting thing is that word for stay 
is translated with the word abide in the Gospel of John in the 15th chapter. In verses 4 to 5 of, of John chapter 15, this is what Jesus says. He tra- it's translated here, remain. Remain in me, and I, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. It must stay in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain or stay in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, if you abide in me, if you stay in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is saying to Zacchaeus, I want to stay with you. I want to remain with you. I want to abide with you. I want you to be a part of my family, of my community. Zacchaeus, I need to come and stay at your house today. So in these two stories, Jesus stops. For both men. For one man who felt completely isolated. He was blind. He would have been considered unclean. People would have wanted to avoid him or shun him. That's why the crowd says to him, hey, you need to be quiet. Don't yell out to the son of David. Don't yell out to Jesus. Behave yourself. And Jesus stops and says, bring him to me. And Zacchaeus, a different kind of outsider, but one who had made it, one who had great wealth, but one who also knew that somehow his life was not yet complete, that there was something missing. And in both instances, Jesus stops. And he engages in a conversation. Because both men are incomplete. And as I think about that, I think about the way in which Jesus works in our own lives. Because sometimes, I think Jesus asks us a question. What do you want me to do for you? What is it that we need from Jesus? Yet other times, Jesus says, you need to get out of the tree. You need to get out of that place where you think you're hiding. You need to get out of that place that you've run to. And we need to talk. Because Jesus wants to stay with us. Jesus wants to abide with us. And so the question then is, particularly around the story of Zacchaeus, what do we do with that invitation? With Jesus saying, I want to be with you. And for Zacchaeus, the response is one of immediate generosity. He sees the relational kindness that Jesus has offered to him. He sees the relational hospitality that Jesus has, cost, has offered to him. He sees the generous gift that Jesus is giving to him. And, and the first thing that Zacchaeus can think about doing is he's saying, look, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give, I'm going to give back 50% half 
of what I have back to the poor. I'm going to pay back people four times. That is, paying back people four times is way beyond the 20% that the Old Testament called for. But Zacchaeus is saying, I'm going to respond with generosity. And if you read through the Gospel of Luke carefully, you see that oftentimes Luke says this, has this idea of saying, for those who have wealth, don't build bigger barns. Figure out how to care for the poor. Figure out what to do with the resources that you have been given. And so that is how Zacchaeus responds generously, abundantly. And Jesus says, you know what? Today, salvation has come to this man's house. Salvation hasn't come because of what Zacchaeus has done, because he's given away half of his resources. Salvation has come because he, he said, Jesus, I want you to come into my house. I want you to come into my life. I want to be in relationship with you. And then there is this response of Zacchaeus to the gift that Jesus has given to him. It goes well with what we talk about as being the vision of our church. We want to experience the transforming love of Jesus, and we want to express the transforming love of Christ. Because you see, Zacchaeus experiences something he'd never felt before, and he knows he has to do something with that. And he expresses it by giving generously. Zacchaeus had more than enough. That's very clear. And we talked last week about just praying, God, just give us manna for the day. Give us bread for the day. Give us today our daily bread. Zacchaeus had more than enough manna, more than enough bread. And so he begins to give it away. For for our church, this season of November is when we typically talk about stewardship. We talk about it throughout the year, I know, but we try and focus in a little bit more on this idea of saying, are we living generously? And we don't apologize for that. I never apologize for talking about money. Jesus talks about money more than anything else in the Bible except for the kingdom of heaven. So I think it's, it's an important topic for us to talk about. We don't do it with a sense of guilting people into giving, but we do it with a sense of saying, do we understand what Christ has done for us and how can we share that blessing with others during this upcoming week, we'll be sending out um, estimated giving cards, asking you to consider how it is that you might give to help the mission and ministry of our church. And it's really an important season for us. We're, We're doing, we're doing okay financially, but, but as I have been talking about, there are, there are things that we want to do next year as we emerge out of COVID. There are staff positions that, that we need to fill at some point, and, and, and we want to make sure that, that we have the resources to do that. You all have been awesome, and you have been amazing in your giving, and I want to say thank you for that. Uh, but, but we need to keep that up, and we need to know um, what people are thinking as they move into 2021. I know there's a lot of uncertainty, um, but if you can send the estimate of giving card back into us, That would be great. We talk about money. And what I want to make clear is it's not what I want from you, but it's what I want for you. I love how Andy Stanley, that's how he describes that. Because a lot of times when we talk about how do we use our financial resources, people feel like we're grabbing for more. We want this and we want that. We want that from you. But here's what I've learned. When we live generously, we are blessed people. doesn't mean we always get more money, 
but it means there, there's a supernatural thing that happens. That's what I want for you. That blessing that comes by living a life that is marked by generosity. We talk about here, how do we leverage our influence and our affluence for the kingdom of God? And we have great resources to do that. You all have been so amazing in so many ministries and missions that you have helped to start because you have influence, because you care, because you're entrepreneurial. And then you have sustained those with your financial gifts, with your tithes, and with your offerings. And so I just want to say thank you for that as we continue to talk about the generous life that God calls us to live. Because to be a follower of Jesus, it does call for a life of generosity. That as we act like Jesus, we behave, we live generously. Because Jesus has stopped. And he's looked you and me in the eye and he said, I love you. I want to stay with you. I want to be a part of your life. I've come to seek and save the lost. All right, so back to Bono, back to you too. I love this quote that Bono had years and years ago uh, when he was talking about that, how Jesus Christ came to seek and save the lost, how, you know, this, the great hymn, I once was lost, but now I'm found. And Bono says, I understand it just a little bit differently. He says, I once was very lost, but now I'm a little less so. And what he's saying is he's saying, I was completely I didn't know what was going on, but I've met Jesus and now I'm finding my way. And folks, that's what I hope we're all about, that we are finding our way in this path of discipleship. I want to wrap up because I said Luke 18 is important. I don't want to think, go back to the blind man because he's on the outside of Jericho when he is healed, when he can see, he follows Jesus through Jericho and perhaps they've even left Jericho when Jesus spots Zacchaeus. And what is the first conversation that this man gets to witness in a visual sense? It's Jesus stopping and it's Jesus speaking to Zacchaeus and it's Jesus offering him this great invitation of saying, I want to come and stay with you. And can you imagine? I love this idea of, and guess who follows along to the house of Zacchaeus? This blind man. He gets to sit down with Jesus. He gets to eat with Zacchaeus. They get to tell each other stories. This is the gospel being lived out. This is the power of story. And the first thing this man witnesses is the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. The one who calls us to follow him and to find our way on the path of discipleship. Will you pray with me, please? God, thank you that we are loved. Thank you that we are cherished. Thank you that we are known. And Lord, no matter how much success we feel like we've had or how little success we feel, whether we feel as though people see us or no one sees us, God, would you remind us that we are loved? Would you remind us that Jesus stops and speaks to us? We are grateful that we are known. And we give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.